Oh god, it's the name again. <laughs> I get so nervous. Oh no, the name Mariad. Ma- Mariad. Yeah. I'll start again. Mariad. Welcome back to the Europelex podcast. I'm Gabriel Hedengren, and with me, of course, as always, is my very good friend, Ewan Healy. Hi, Ewan. Hi, Gabriel. Feels weird not doing that, I have to say. I know, I know. We thought we switched around, so I did the, the intro today. So I'm, um, I'm recording today from a very cold and rainy Sweden, um, which, is, which is new. Um, what's it like where you are, Ewan, up in Scotland? Are you locked in a dorm? <laughs> It's it's cold and rainy because I live in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Neither of us have really spent a lot of time in the world, the place where there's a lot of sun. Oh well. So I'm sure a lot of you will be super excited to hear that in this episode, uh, we're going to revisit an old beloved segment, thanks to Phil Hogan, and you and you've also spoken to um, the international correspondent for the New Statesman, Ido Falk in order to get ready and discuss um, the run-up to the upcoming parliamentary elections in Georgia. So as always, a lot to run through today. So let's just go right into our news bulletin, um, if that sounds all right, Ewan. Sounds perfect to me, Gabriel. Brilliant. So we have to start off with the EU summit. Uh, So despite various EU leaders not attending due to self-isolation rules, uh, the European Council uh, bringing together the national leaders from all 27 EU states went ahead this week anyway with coronavirus, of course, at the top of the schedule. Uh, Attendees discussed, you know, among other issues, the challenges of tracking contacts across borders, the possibility of internal EU travel bans to stop the spread, and also plans for the distribution of vaccine across Europe um, when that's developed and and ready to be rolled out. Um, Discussions continued also to plan for the UK's final exit from the EU, at the termination of the transition period on New Year's Eve. Currently, as I'm sure a lot of you will know, these discussions between the EU and the UK are currently at um, an impasse with UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson telling Britons to prepare for an exit without a trade deal. The EU, uh, on the other hand, has called on the UK to work harder to make a deal possible, um, and discussions, as I said, are ongoing. So um, on top of all the COVID uncertainty, we still have the Brexit uncertainty very much very much present and looming. Um, in addition, discussions over EU plans to cut carbon emissions by 55% by 2030 were discussed, uh, with an emphasis on ensuring um, that there's an EU-wide so-called level playing field uh, for environmental regulation. Other discussion points included EU-Africa relations, um, what's going on in Belarus at the moment, Turkey, and relations with Russia um, in the context of um, the investigations currently going on into the downing of the Malaysian Airlines flight MH17 um, that some of you might remember, um, the terrible plane crash back in 2014 um, over Ukraine. Um, So as always, wide range of issues to discuss at an EU summit, um, but obviously very COVID-focused because it's 2020. After looking at those headlines from Brussels, we're going to move on to some electoral news, the truly the the core of our platform here at Europolex, um, where national parliament elections have been held uh, in Lithuania on the 12th of October, which concluded with no party receiving more than 26% of the national vote, so a really spread uh, election result. 
Opposition party centre-right Homeland Union won a plurality for the second time in a row, second election in a row, with their vote share increased on the previous election by around 3%. The party of the incumbent prime minister, Saulius Scrivenelis, Europe's only Green-affiliated head of government, dropped down four percentage polls to 18.7%. Pro-government parties in the same as the centre-left LSDDP, the centre-right KS and the National Conservative CPT all lost parliamentary representation due to falling below the 4% national threshold. So that could bring in challenges for the incumbent prime minister. The election was, on the other hand, a good day for the Liberal Renew Europe group, whose member parties, DP and newcomer LP, saw huge surges in support, the LP receiving 9% in their first election and DP doubling their vote share on last time. So far, we've only got confirmed all 70 proportionally allocated seats in the election, with all of the single member districts, except for three, heading on to runoffs on the 25th of October. So on the 25th of October, which might be when you're listening to this podcast, there'll be 68 elections going on for single member districts. Head, of course, to our website for deeper analysis and follow our coverage as the second round of the elections go on in this Baltic state. We love that 68 elections. (laughs) Um, So now to Cyprus, um, the island of Cyprus, where on Sunday, Turkish Cypriot leader Mustafa Akinci lost re-election to Conservative candidate Ersin Tatar. Uh, This casts doubt on whether negotiations to reunify the divided country as a federation have any hopes of succeeding. During the second round of the presidential elections in the unrecognized northern Cyprus, Tatar won with 51.7% of the vote. He leads the nationalist conservative party, UBP, um, that's affiliated with um, the ECR group in the European Parliament, um, is currently prime minister and has been heavily supported by the Turkish government, uh, with his support drawn from increased participation of voters from areas that are more heavily populated uh, with people from Turkey than by Turkish Cypriot um, themselves. Um, the outgoing president of the unrecognized Northern Cyprus, Social Democrat Akinci, ran as an independent this time around, and his 48.3 vote share comes in part from the SND-affiliated party CTP um, and its candidate that had been eliminated in the first round, which took place um, a week ago. Um, Akinci was also helped by increased participation. Uh, 67.3% of the occupied region voted um, for the second round, uh, compared to a historic low during the first round when only 58.2% voted. Uh, So sort of a surge in participation between the two rounds. Um, Akinci um, had often come into conflict with Turkish President Erdogan in the past few years, um, insisting on maintaining federal reunification of the island as a goal for the Turkish community in the north, while Tatar is more open to alternative arrangements such as a two-state solution, um, and is seen as more eager to follow um, instructions from um, Ankara, so the capital city of Turkey. Um, right before the election, Erdogan's open support to Tatar had led to the collapse of the Turkish Cypriot government, uh, which could mean unscheduled legislative elections um, could be happening soon. Um, obviously, we'll keep you updated as things um, become clearer um, there. At the same time, in the rest of the island of the Republic of Cyprus, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, uh, Demetris Silouris, um, was forced to quit on Thursday after intense public outcry. Um, he was caught on camera promising his assistance to what he thought were the representatives of a wealthy Chinese businessman uh, that had been convicted of corruption in China. His promise was in regards to a purchase of a Cypriot passport through an investment scheme. Um, the representatives turned out to be investigative journalists from Al Jazeera, and their documentary was published last Monday. The scandal also led 
led to left-wing um, Arkel MP Christakis Giovanni stepping down as he was caught on camera promising similar services as well. All parties agreed on placing um, Arkel MP Adamos Adamo in the speaker's seat until scheduled legislative elections uh, go ahead in May 2021. Um, however, the Greens and other independent MPs in the Republic of Cyprus have been calling for early elections, both with Parliament and the presidency of the country, since the scandal is believed to reach President Anastasiades himself, though nothing has been proven so far. In other words, we might be seeing even more elections on Cyprus in the following months. I have to say, I think Adamos Adamu is a fantastic name. Yeah. So good, they named him twice. <laughs> Keeping on with some electoral news, which is obviously what you're all here for, the Austrian capital city of Vienna held elections on the 11th of October with strong results for the city governing coalition of the centre-left SPO and the Green Party. The SPO achieved a plurality in 17 of 18 of the city constituencies, while both parties increased their vote share by 2 and 3% respectively. Meanwhile, the centre-right OVP party of the Prime Minister, Sebastian Kurz, more than doubled their results, gaining 15 seats compared with the previous election. Meanwhile, right-wing FPO saw their vote share collapse dramatically as they lost 26 of their 34 seats in the 100-seat city legislature. FPO are now down to being the joint smallest party in the city's parliament alongside the liberal NEOS party. And this is all despite being the silver medalists in 2016 coming second. The election also saw an impressive 1.8% for the Beer Party of Austria, which is, again, one of those things. I love seeing parties like that. Planning for a new city government coalition has begun at the time of recording with SBO discussing partnerships with NEOS, Greens and the OVP, with core plans for the government being to defend municipal healthcare and housing subsidy, according to an SBO spokesperson. So now on to Moldova for even more electoral news uh, and events coming up. So we're now less than two weeks away from the first round of the presidential election in Moldova, uh, which, as you'll know, is um, a country situated in between Ukraine and Romania um, and one of um, Europe's um, poorest countries in ex-Soviet state. The country's current president, Igor Doron, uh, will be defending his position as the candidate for the left-wing Party of Socialists, which is also the biggest party in the country's parliament um, at this moment and part of its ruling minority coalition. In 2016, um, Doron won in the second round with 52.1% against uh, the 47.9% of the liberal pro-EU candidate, Maya Sandu, uh, from the Party of Action and Solidarity. Um, so there haven't been a terrible amount of, of opinion polls in the lead up to this, but um, the one that, um, that have come out indicate that it's very likely uh, that we'll see uh, a repeat of that scenario this year, um, with both Doron and Sandu um, running again. Um, they are well ahead of all their competitors, uh, with the closest ones being about 10 percentage points behind. So what's looking likely is that we'll have the same second round between those two candidates. And once again, uh, the incumbent socialist Dodon um, is about 10 percentage points ahead um, in head-to-head polls uh, with the liberal Sandu. Um, we'll obviously be uh, sharing the results and reporting on this, so um, stay posted. And I'm sure lots of you are waiting with bated breath for a preview of the Georgia elections, but you're going to have to wait a little bit longer with that because I'm interviewing Ido Vok and it's going to be at the end of this podcast. Hold on and listen for that. It's going to be a really fascinating discussion about things in Tbilisi and beyond.
Moving to Greece now, where we have some um, judicial news, uh, so moving away from electoral ones uh, for just a minute. Uh, so after about five and a half years, the Golden Dawn trial is in its final stage. Two weeks ago now, people across Greece were celebrating as the judges ruled that the far-right extremist and neo-Nazi Golden Dawn is actually a criminal organization operating as a political party. Um, in the following weeks since, the court has sentenced its leadership, including former MPs and MEPs, uh, and its current MEP, Ioan. Uh, Lagos for around 30 years in prison, uh, with one leadership member getting uh, just 10 years. Other defendants were found guilty of being members of the criminal organizations, um, and other charges also included the murder of rapper um, Pavlos Frisas, um, attacks against migrant workers, uh, as well as union members. Those involved in the organization received a sentence of up to 10 years, um, while the murder of Pavlos Frisas was sentenced to life imprisonment plus 14 years. Now, by the time you, you're all listening to this, chances are the trial has concluded as there is just one major decision remaining. Um, and that's whether the sentences are to be suspended pending appeal or have an immediate effect. Uh, so a suspension would mean the defendants would remain free until their appeal is heard and denied. Uh, and this is exactly what the prosecutor proposed for all convicted Golden Dawn members, uh, with the exception of um, Fisis' murder. Uh, the decision, however, is up to the court's three judges who have previously discarded the prosecutor's recommendation, uh, as she even recommended against a guilty verdict. And then finally, in some religious news, in massive news for Europe's 277 million Catholics, uh, as well as the continent's LGBT community, this week Pope Francis, the leader of the Catholic Church, the largest Christian domination in the world, said in an interview that he supports the introduction of same-sex civil unions. While not an endorsement of same-sex marriage, which at present is only legal in 16 European countries, this is the largest statement of support in favour of LGBT rights in Catholic history. Pope Francis has, of course, been criticised by conservative voices within the church for some time, and this will likely intensify those disagreements. But a good day for LGBT Catholics. For sure. Um, it's amazing. Who would have thought? So coming up, we have the triumphant return of Who is Who, Commissioner Edition, uh, and also Ewan's interview um, with Ido Vok to bring you all the info that we can on the upcoming elections in Georgia, the country that is. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast and want to help us grow, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whatever platform it is you're listening to us on. And of course, tell your friends, your fellow political nerds all about us. That would mean the absolute world. We love making this podcast and we love it when you guys love it. So if you've got an idea for a segment, thoughts on a topic that we should be covering, or even if you just want to say hi to us, drop us an email, podcast at europolex.eu. more loyal listeners will remember our Who is Who segment where we went through a couple of Europe's lovely commissioners every episode. While we eventually ran out of commissioners to profile, we now have a new commissioner for Ireland, so we get to profile a new one. Yes, finally. <laughs> I don't know if that if I can say that, but uh, following the resignation of Phil Hogan in the wake of him and some of his politics peers uh, flouting COVID restrictions uh, back in summer, uh, Mariad McGuinness uh, officially became the Commissioner for Financial Stability, Financial Services and the Capital Markets Union uh, last week, succeeding the Lithuanian Commissioner Valdis Dobrovskis, who has now taken on Phil Hogan's trade portfolio instead. So who is Mariette McGuinness, Ewan? So up until last week, she was an MP for Fine Gael, Ireland's centre-right party belonging to the European People's Party at the European level. 
She's a parliamentary veteran. That's that's for sure. She was first elected to the body back in 2004. So 15 years in the parliament. And in 2017, she became a first vice president of the European Parliament. So McGuinness is from uh, County Louth in northeastern Ireland, uh, bordering um, Northern Ireland, and she's an expert in agricultural economics. So she's actually the first woman to get a bachelor's degree in agricultural economy at University College Dublin. She then got a master's in accounting before launching a nearly two-decade-long media career in her home country. Um, So she worked as a researcher on The Late Late Show, which is one of the the, the bigger evening shows on Ireland. She was a presenter on um, RT's Ear to the Ground and Celebrity Farm. Uh, she was also a journalist with the Irish Farmers Journal and the editor of the Irish Independence Farming Supplement. There, you can tell there's a theme there for sure. And fun fact is that she's also married to a sheep farmer. In 2004, she decided to run for the European Parliament. And while it was far from certain initially, she chose to do so for Fine Gael, taking one of its two seats from Ireland's East constituency. Since then, she has been on numerous committees, mostly focusing on, unsurprisingly, agricultural issues. Um, So McGuinness has twice tried and failed to launch a career in Irish national politics. So first in the 2007 general election, where she ran... Uh, as a candidate in her home constituency, but fell short of of gaining a seat. And then uh, in 2011, um, she wished to run as Fine Gael's presidential candidate, uh, but lost to Gay Mitchell that time. Um, And Gay Mitchell eventually came uh, fourth in that election, uh, losing to the still incumbent uh, Michael D. Higgins uh, from the Labour Party. She's also failed, which is, I feel like this is quite a negative um, briefing on her. But anyway, she's also failed to be nominated to become the president of the European Parliament. When she tried in 2017, uh, she lost to uh, Italian Antonia Tajani. In terms of controversies, that's again, still quite negative. Uh, McGuinness was behind a report leaked last year, proposing to give churches a bigger say on EU level policymaking, recommending more direct meetings between religious groups and rapporteurs. Many MEPs reacted against this, saying it would violate the separation of religion and state. It was also revealed that one of her closest assistants has direct ties to Agenda Europe, a network campaigning and lobbying against sexual reproductive rights. So there's clearly a lot of controversy there, but she's just been appointed as one of the most uh, influential politicians in Europe. And so hopefully she'll be hoping to uh, make up for her missing opportunities in national politics, I'm sure. I think it makes up for it definitely being being an EU commissioner. I think probably. I know we're Europe elects, so we're a bit biased towards the the, the EU powers. But I, I'd say that uh, it beats coming forth in an Irish presidential election. <laughs> Losing to the loser, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I think it's a good story. If if you don't succeed, pick it up, try again, and then. You work hard and then you get your break. EuropeLex is, of course, run by volunteers. We aren't funded by big donors. And everything we do, including this podcast, is only possible with the help of our supporters, just like you. And if we want to do more, which we do, we need your support. So we've started sharing exclusive discussions and special content and votes on what we should contain in our coming podcasts, all on our Patreon channel. Access all of it from as little as one euro a month and support the work of EuropeLex. So don't miss out on all that good content and support us on Patreon.
In what is a difficult time to Google an election in a nation which shares a name with a US swing state, we have arrived to save you and Google's news algorithm from endless confusion by discussing the national parliamentary election in Georgia, the former Soviet nation, to the south of the Caucasus Mountains. To help us pass the confusion is Ido Vok, international correspondent for the political magazine The New Statesman and former member of editorial staff at OC Media, a Tbilisi-based publication. Ido, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, great to have you. Let's start with uh, some of the basics of Georgian politics for the less keen followers uh, out there who are just understanding Georgian politics, perhaps for the first time. Uh, so they may not know that Georgian Dream, which is a sort of broad spectrum party, which is affiliated with the Party of European Socialists, um, won a landslide victory in 2016, taking 115 of 150 seats in the parliament. Since then, could you just help us understand what are the, the sort of uh, events, the earthquakes that Georgian Dream have tried to ride out and come into this election uh, with that in their back pocket? Yeah, so so Georgian Dream is a party founded by the oligarch Bidina Ivanishvili, who was briefly prime minister uh, when Georgian Dream first won parliamentary election in 2012. Um, and since then, he's sort of widely been accepted as basically running the country from the sidelines, even though he is neither president nor prime minister, but he's uh, by quite some distance the richest man in the country. I mean, other, other former Soviet countries have oligarchs, and in Georgia there is an oligarch, who is Ivanishvili. Um, and so, so the, they, they won the landslide victory in 2012 and again in 2016, and uh, they've, they've repeatedly had to face off accusations of being pro-Russian, so notably, um, a couple of years ago, there was an incident where the, I believe, the Speaker of the Russian Parliament came to Tbilisi and addressed the Georgian Parliament in Russian, which obviously, uh, given the legacy of the uh, Soviet period in Georgia and also the more recent occupation of two regions, which Georgia says is its sovereign territory, Abkhazia and South Ossetia, uh, raised a few uh, eyebrows in Tbilisi and led, well, that's one way of putting it, it led to quite violent uh, protests. And so uh, and that was that was a quite significant challenge for uh, for Georgian Dream. Um, more recently, there has been the coronavirus crisis, which uh, has obviously been slightly different. Um, Georgia, until very recently, weathered the storm much, much better than most other countries in the region or really anywhere else in the world apart. It was, it was part of these kind of, this hand, these handful of nations which had very, very low cases. So I, I lived there until late summer this year and for the entire time I was there, so the entire period of the uh, coronavirus until August, cases were basically in like single digits. Um, up until up until now, uh, so daily cases were in single digits, sort of nine, ten cases um, a day. Uh, up until late summer, when um, they started exploding, and they're now a thousand a day, um, which kind of throws a spanner in the works for Georgian Dream because they were widely expected to uh, kind of coast on on their really until very recently very good record on dealing with the coronavirus and are now having to accept um, being really you know having having figures that are more that more closely resemble the rest of the world rather than an, an incredibly competent exception 
To what extent, um, Georgian's uh, economy has been slowing over recent months, as has been many parts of the world because of the coronavirus crisis. To what extent is that sort of stuck and that attached to Georgian dream themselves? Could that damage their chances in the polls? Yeah, so so I think um, most most Georgian sort of recognise that this is a global problem. Um, it's not a problem that is exclusive to Georgia. And given that Georgia really did deal with this incredibly well, um, it's still only got 100 deaths, which relatively speaking, compared to other countries, is still you know a pretty good performance. We'll see where it goes over the winter, but uh, relatively speaking, even when even now that it's not kind of New Zealand numbers, it's still um, it's still a very good performance. Um, but there is kind of a growing awareness in Georgia, which is really not a very rich country, that. Um, locking down along the model of much richer Western countries, which can afford sort of extended furlough schemes and subsidies to business and so on, which Georgia cannot because it is not a rich country, um, is not a sustainable strategy. And so perhaps what worked uh, in March may not work uh, again. Yeah, that's really interesting. Another big story uh, in, in Georgia recently has been the electoral reform. Um, the reform of electoral law um, based on the Venice Commission and other things. There have been some commentators who suggested that this move to a more proportional system um, will actually damage chances for for Georgian Dream and, uh, you know, as you say, uh, the oligarch Bidzani Ivanishvili. Do you think, do you agree with that analysis? You know, is this going to be a serious impact on Georgian Dream's domination of politics over the last nearly a decade? So the reason the... Um system is now partially proportional. So there will be, um, I think, 120 uh, members elected proportionally and 30 members elected uh, in single member constituencies. So the reason this compromise was reached is because originally the system was meant to switch to fully proportional representation, but then not enough MPs voted for the reform for it to go through, which led to protests uh, last year. And so the the intent of this reform was in practice to uh, exclude the possibility of single party government. So Georgia has a history pretty much exclusively of single party governments, obviously during the Soviet period and later after independence, um, even during, during the period when Georgia sort of democratized, um, there was still only single party governments up until the present day. And so it was expected that having the vast majority of seats be elected proportionally would lead to the end of single party governments. Um, but Georgian Dream is polling so well that with with the combination of um, a big a big proportion of the vote for the uh, for the proportional seats and doing very well in the majoritarian single member seats it's expected that they will be able to govern alone or have close to an absolute majority of seats so in short no it hasn't really affected their chance just because their numbers are doing uh, are so good anyway it's sort of like you know think about new zealand like the labor it is a proportional system but the labor party did so well that it doesn't matter that it's a proportional system Absolutely right. And as you said, one party government is is the way that Georgians have, have, have known politics. And one of those parties was the United National Movement, which uh, dominated and was the, the governing party alone from 2004 to 2012. Um, that's a centre-right party affiliated with the European People's Party in the European Parliament. Um, they are trailing uh, Georgian Dream by around 10 points in most polls, though polls do fluctuate um, quite a lot between pollsters. Um, from an outside perspective, it can be a little bit hard to draw a dividing line between these two parties. What are the dividing lines, or is it simply just a personality thing? 
Yeah, so, so Georgian politics is really based quite a lot around just personalities and leaders and like founders. So uh, as, as I mentioned, Georgian Dream is basically sort of Ivanishvili's party and is very, very closely associated with Ivanishvili for good and uh, for bad because, you know, Ivanishvili is very rich, so he gives to charity, for instance, which usually leads to uh, dividends for his political dividends for his party. Um, similarly, the United National Movement, UNM, is very, very closely associated with former president uh, Mikhail Saakashvili, who uh, was president from 2003 to 2012, or 2004 to 2012. Um, and again, it's, it's kind of like policy differences don't really matter in terms of how people view this. It's really the question of the legacy of Misha, as he's known, as Sakashvili is known, the question of Misha's legacy um, in terms of modernizing the country. He famously um, slimmed down the state quite significantly and uh, brought a lot of foreign investment into Georgia, um, democratized quite significantly. There was the first peaceful transfer of power in probably history in 2012, but also uh, was criticized for being very authoritarian. There was a uh, scandal where prisoners were severely mistreated and videos of that leaked to the press towards the end of Misha's term. Um, so it's kind of, so yeah, as, as I say, it's really based primarily on, on personalities, on people's attitudes to either Ivanishvili or Sakashvili or um, any, of the other, any of the other leaders. It's not primarily based on policy, I would say. Yeah, and something that's been uh, uh, over the last few years of Georgian politics, uh, in addition to these two men, is a few splits off from these two main parties, and they're going to be contesting their first election uh, when the election comes up in at the end of this month. And they uh, parties which are doing quite well that are new to the scene is European Georgia, centre-right party, centre-liberal Lilo, and centre-right strategy builder, all expected to cross the threshold. Do they fill a gap in... Or do they do they have a chance of perhaps uh, overturning things in the future, or, or is this again just a sort of the churn of the the, the pie system, a distraction from the main personalities? Uh, yeah, so so there were several sort of incumbent parties. Um, there was Lilo, there was uh, Girchi, which is kind of libertarian party, and then various splits. So European Georgia split from the UNM. Um, all of them seem to be doing not very well um Lilo in particular was hyped quite quite uh, significantly so it's run by this businessman Mamuka Khadzaraki who um was one of the people trying to create a uh, a port I believe on the Black Sea uh, called Anaklia um and so when I when I lived in Georgia there were ads for Lilo everywhere like clearly a lot of money was going into it um but they really haven't got anywhere i think they're polling around two percent um Gierci, they they're a libertarian party they uh they're quite anti-clerical and they have some quite funny um sort of social media videos but again they're not polling very well it really yeah it's a, it's a pr system and georgian politics is so sort of volatile that if so if a personality comes along who can really sort of uh, build a following, then who knows, all, all bets are off. Um, because that's really what happened with Sakashvili, who came pretty much out of nowhere, the same with Ivanishvili. Uh, but for the moment, I would say it's a, well, it's, it's, it's a one-horse race, really. I mean, Georgian Dream is going to win. The question is, 
how sustainable is that win? Do they have to govern alone, as, as has widely been expected, or do they have to form a coalition? Will all their MPs hold? Because not last time, um, there were quite a few defections over the course of the parliament. And if they have a small majority this time, that could impair their ability to uh, govern alone. And on that note, we're going to end uh, the interview. That was really interesting to hear uh, your angle on uh, Georgian politics. And uh, it's going to be really fascinating to watch the election results come in and what the next few years could mean for uh, Georgia and, and whether Georgian Dream will be able to uh, move the country forward after the coronavirus crisis. Uh, Ido, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and I'm sure we'll see you again sometime. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the EuropeLX podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review for us. Also, to stay up to date with European politics, make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, all of them. You can find us also at EuropeLX.eu um, and at EuropeLX across all those social media platforms, except for Instagram, that is, because there it's at Europe underscore Lex. Thank you very much and see you next time. You've been listening to the EuropeLX podcast hosted by Ewan Healy and Gabriel Hedengren. The managing editor was Polychronus Karimpoulos. The producer and audio engineers were Rafael Peñorios and Leon Lizana. The script was written by our hosts and our writing team, Matthew Nicholson, Yorgos Kakouris and Guillem Ferreira de Senda. The music was by Jose Alvarado. And everything we do couldn't be possible without our fantastic supporters on Patreon. I hope none of this gets in the podcast. It's very like... <laughs> This is a podcast of personal encouragement for your life. It's like one of those self-actualization tapes. Well, each EU commissioner can teach you in your, in your strength. <laughs> yeah, take, take, take the quiz on our website. Which commissioner are you? <laughs>